I'd like to share a story with you about my grandpa Gene Zarlingo. That's my father's father. And it takes place when he was in high school and he walked into the cafeteria and he witnessed something happening. Grandpa Gene, he was congenial, he was nice, he was kind, but he was cool. He was on the football team. He was a Bears fan, not Bengals and not Rams. Does anyone even know who's playing the Super Bowl this year? I'm just kidding. But he was a football player, he was a nice guy, but one thing he couldn't stand for was bullies. And so there was this bully. And as we tell the story in our family, just think of Biff from Back to the Future. That's the bully, okay? That's the face, that's the look, that's the size. And so he's there and he is just ripping on this little kid, just ripping on him, yelling at him, making fun of him, getting in his face. And this kid's just being picked on and Grandpa Gene wouldn't have it. So Grandpa Gene goes up and he gets in between the bully and this kid. And he says, hey, you gotta stop right now. The bully goes, get out of the way, Gene. Move, get out of the way. He said, I'm not getting out of the way and I'm giving you one more chance. Stop picking on him or else. And the bully said, or else what? And before he could get that word out, Grandpa Gene leaned back, boom, popped him right in the jaw, punched him. The guy flies over the table in the cafeteria, lands down and Grandpa Gene says, I tried to warn you, stop picking on him. Now across the cafeteria is a young lady a few years younger, Velma. And she turns and she looks And she sees, who is this man, Gene, who just took down that bully and stood up for injustice? And later on, years later, she would marry him. They would have six children. They would have nine grandchildren and 20 great-grandchildren. And that is the story. It began with a punch in the face. So I tell you, go out there, go punch somebody. You never know the type of date you'll get. No, I'm kidding. This is not about violence. I'm not saying go and punch people. But I am saying this, justice does not always require fist, but it does require for someone to get in the way of the injustice. It requires someone to get in the way. You know, Jesus said this in the gospel of Matthew 7, verse 13 through 14, Jesus speaking here and he said, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There are two roads and two ways. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was showing us the path we were to take. And we as Christians who have found the way and the goodness of the Lord and the restoration of God, we are called to go out and get in the way of the world and those in it and to show them the right way. The world is good. Two people, hey, you can clap. I love that. Nothing worse than just two claps. No, we don't have to do it. I'm just kidding. it It wasn't to get that. I just always laugh in those moments. I have to acknowledge them. But we're getting in the way to show the world the way. See, the world is on a pathway, a road of pain and destruction that begins in this life and continues for all eternity. And we are called to follow our Lord and Master's example to get in the way of others, journeying down a path of perdition. We're commissioned to be roadblocks and guides. I didn't say potholes. Who enjoys a good pothole? Don't you just love it when you're driving? Boom, boom. You're like, oh my goodness. Potholes and roadblocks, here's the difference. 
A pothole brings injury, doesn't care about you. It's impersonal. Figure it out on your own because, you know, learn from that because they ain't ever gonna fix it, right? <laughs> it's always gonna be there. And it leaves you more damaged. That's a pothole. But see, a roadblock means someone has intentionally come there to set something up and to warn you and show you another way. We're not called to be potholes, to walk around with attitudes, to make aggressive posts on social media or indirect comments towards others, to put our finger in their face and say, oh, you feel that? Yeah. That's not our call. But we are called to get in the way. We are called to be a roadblock. See, humanity is wandering down the highway of a sinful world and we are called to intersect their journey, to be a sacred interference in their life. Not obnoxious, not cold-hearted, and not mean, but still a sacred interference, bold and loving, yet in the way. See, the reason we, the church, exist is because Jesus became our mediator. He embraced the cross and began the eternal disruption of evil. He broke the curse of sin upon all creation, reconciling us back to God the Father. And he invites you and me to join him in this ministry and mission. To join him in the ministry of reconciling the world back to him. In the mission of the gospel and the great commission, the words he left with each of us to go Disciple, reach, bring the lost into the way of life everlasting. A journey that begins here. We've been called to be ambassadors of Christ himself, the literal hands and feet presence of Jesus in that atmosphere that you find yourself in, to be Christ. In the workplace, for those who are at home with your children running around you, those in the classroom, on the field, wherever you find yourself, on the street corner, in a transaction in 7-Eleven, you are ambassador of Christ. His presence there in that place. We're empowered to lovingly disrupt the ramifications of evil, to stand as witness of the new way and the narrow road that Christ has laid out for us. I love what it says in Romans 10. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Not just something we sit back and ponder and say, ah, that was good, but something where we stand up and we shake whatever we need to off and we begin to be the feet of Jesus, hindering people from going down the wrong road and showing them the right way. Paul the apostle, also known and goes by the name Saul, he would have had a firsthand experience where Jesus literally disrupted and redirected his life on a road. And that's what we're gonna read here in Acts chapter 19. 
Meanwhile, Saul, also known as Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Just realize that Christians in the first century were referred to as followers of the way. What we read about Matthew 7, how Jesus said there's two ways, two roads, and then also Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Saul had just witnessed Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church, there in that century, in that moment, he had seen him stoned to death. And when he saw that, he suddenly became filled with what he felt was a righteous anger, but we know was a perverse and evil one, to then find these followers of the way and purge them. And this is what he's asking for. So he is on a murderous mission. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless and they heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. Can I just encourage you people of God in this season, in this world that we are in, the Holy Spirit is moving. He's working May our posture and our ears be ready to hear his calling, his beckoning for us to be a part of what he's doing. Just like Ananias, who was ready to hear the voice of God. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. He's saying, um, hey, Lord, do you know who you're talking about? You must mean someone else. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered into it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, regained his strength. Can I, can I just extend outside of the text but staying within the narrative of scripture? I'm sure that when Paul wrote down in Romans to the church of Rome, how beautiful the feet are that bring the good news, he probably pictured Ananias a man who came to him in the midst of his blindness and gave him the gift of sight, both physically and spiritually, who baptized him and introduced him to the Holy Spirit. There's three things that we learn 
from this passage and story. First, no one is too far from a Jesus encounter. No one is too far from a Jesus encounter. Cindy, who works with you, is not too far from a Jesus encounter. When you begin to hear the voice of God calling you to reach out to her, to speak to her, to get in the way of where her life is heading, don't say, do you mean Samantha? Because Samantha, now that's, that's what I'm talking about. Samantha's ready, not Cindy. No one is too far. No child is too far. No spouse is too far from a Jesus encounter. The second thing we learn from this is that God uses humanity in his gospel work. He uses us. Jesus encountered Saul on that road, disrupted him with a revelation and a vision. But then he took hold of Ananias and his willing heart and his willing feet and his willing hands to go and encounter Saul and be the ambassador of Christ in that room in Saul's life. He uses us. It's written into how he works and what his kingdom is, that he desires to use us. Be ready to get in the way and be a part of his interruptions in people's lives. Third, there is inconvenience and cost to join in on what God is doing. There is inconvenience and cost. It's easy for us to even look at Ananias and like, yeah, good job, Ananias, you did it. Why did you first hesitate a little bit? How dare you? God was talking to you. We can say that because we know how the story played out, but picture him in that moment. Like, are you serious? This guy is, everyone is fleeing from the city who I know family and friends are leaving here because he's coming and you're telling me to go to him. There was a cost and there's an inconvenience to us getting in the way to show someone else the truth, the life, and the way. Are we willing? I'm a student of church history, and I love history. And there's a story that really happened in the fifth century. A monk by the name of Telemachus, he lived in the fourth and fifth century, but this story takes place in the fifth century in the early 400s. Now, Telemachus was a monk. That means he dedicated his life to the faith, to prayer, and to serving and loving others. And he was in the East, and he felt the word of the Lord and the movement of the Spirit on him to journey toward Rome. So he makes this journey into Rome. And while he's there, he sees a whole crowd of people, masses, going into the Colosseum. And so he joins them in this. And as he's in the Colosseum, he sees the violence, the evil, the bloodthirstiness that's in all these people's eyes, the, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And he sees two men, two gladiators, fighting to the death as people are cheering. He's so disturbed. How dare they know this is life So he runs down, he jumps over the barriers and he gets in between these two gladiators who are fighting. And these are the words he says, stop in the great name of him who died for men, Christ Jesus, stop standing in the way. And the history debates on how he died, whether one of the gladiators took a sword to him or the people took stones and stoned him. What we can all know 
is that Telemachus died there in that Colosseum on those sands. And there was an emperor, Honorius, who was witness to this monk's sacrifice. And because of it, he put an end to those games and ended the imperial gladiatorial games. One monk, unknown, heard the voice of the spirit, said yes, but there was a cost to him getting in the way. He had a willingness to say yes. Now, we hear that story. Oh, Pastor Stephen, that's great. That's powerful and that's moving. It's an ancient story and those things, I know they happen, but they happen you know, every few centuries. Jesus has not stopped getting in the way. He is still encountering people here and now. Can I share a story with you? David Grothy was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Broken home, only child, conflicted household with domestic violence. He would find himself many times standing in between his parents, getting in the way of their fight. He didn't go to church, his family didn't go to church, but his aunt and uncle decided one day to pick him up as a preschooler and bring him to church. They didn't know all the details, but they knew that the house wasn't in the right place and they figured all they could do is get him out and bring him to church. And so he began to go to church and at the age of seven at a water baptism service in that little church there in Oklahoma, he gave his life to Jesus. Throughout the years, he connected with the church there in the town and people, teachers and youth leaders and families would pick him up and drop him off, bringing him to church. They saw a gift in him and said, why don't you join our choir? They would bring him on family trips and teach him how to water ski, bring him over for family meals. Getting in the way of his broken home, they took him from that place and brought him into a whole church and a whole family. Well, he would get married. He would become a pastor. He would have four kids, 14 grandchildren, and I would marry his youngest daughter, Anna Joy. My life was forever changed. My whole destiny was forever changed because there were faithful saints in a small town in Oklahoma who decided to get in the way. There was an aunt and an uncle who said, we're gonna pick our little nephew up and just get him out and show him what family and church looks like. Little did they know when they put him in the choir that one day he would be a worship pastor. Do you see what happens when we decide to get in the way? Some of us here in this room, we make it too complicated, but maybe there is just someone, a family member, a cousin, an aunt or an uncle that you need to just pick up and bring them somewhere. Bring them out to eat, bring them to church. Let's get in the way. Patty Lewis, she was a single mother of two, which was not an ideal circumstance for her to rescue a child. But God spoke to her and she said, yes. The Lord brought her into the life of a malnourished and precious nine week old baby boy who was in need of love and a family. That boy would later become the adopted son of both Patty and Ed Lewis. He would grow up inside of these church walls from nursery to kids ministry to youth group and even young adults. He would go on mission trips. He would lead small groups and serve faithfully week after week. Tony Lewis, he's in the, literally, he's in the booth right now running the lyrics for us this whole time. 
He's here every week serving faithfully, leading small groups. And let me tell you something, and the worship team can come back up. I have seen the faithfulness of God in his life because Patty heard the voice of God. And even though some said, no, you shouldn't do this. It's not the right. She said, he's asking me to get in the way of this kid's life and bring him into the right path. And look at Tony. Tony is changed because faithful workers here at the church every week would pour into him, would pick him up and invite him. Hey, be a part of this trip. He would go across the seas and see the power of God. And now he's living here and leading here and bringing people into the way of Jesus Christ because someone got in the way. Friday, I was driving and I got the opportunity to stop by to visit our amazing saints here from this church who every week go out and stand here in Smithtown in front of Planned Parenthood, literally standing in the way to declare to those coming in, there is another way. They don't stand out there with pictures that, and yell and say, what are you doing? They stand there and say, please, let us be with you on this journey. Let us help you. This life in your womb is worth us helping, please. They have seen several women, several women say yes to keep the baby. And they're not just after keeping that baby who's unborn. They wanna see the women come to know Jesus as well. And we've had baby showers here in this church. And we've got another one at the end of this month here in February, because a young lady said yes to keep life and we're gonna celebrate with her. But that only happened because there are people every age from 19 to 85 who stand there week after week, literally in the way to save a life because one life is worth it. This is who we're called to be, people of God. You know that someone got in your way, whether you were running toward hell or you were wandering aimlessly down the wrong path. Someone said that you were worth it. Someone said that I was worth it. They saw Jesus and they joined his work in your life and that's why you're here. Maybe it was a grandmother who got on her knees and prayed for you every day. Maybe it was a parent that every time you walked in stumbling because you were out drunk, partying, high, they were still faithfully there every night to tell you they love you and they're praying for you, to tell you that you have to stop this. And because of that, you're here in this place, sober, saved. Maybe you were in depression and despair and somebody looked at you and did a generous act hey, let me take you out for a meal. And because of that, you decided to not take your life. And now you're here. Someone got in the way. People of God, we are called to invade our neighbor's lives, our bosses, our coworkers, our employees, our friends, the stranger we bump into. We're called to invade their life and be an interruption, not to look at them and point our finger in their face and say, how dare you? But instead to be there with them and say, hey, can I guide and show you another way? Because Jesus changed my life. He reconciled me back to the Father. He healed me, he gave me freedom. I'm not an addict anymore. I'm not in despair and depression anymore. Not because of what I did, but because Jesus invaded my life and someone came with me. Can I come with you? And can I show you the way? A sacred roadblock. Super Bowls today and everyone hopes to see some interceptions. I pray that this week we see supernatural interceptions where the enemy is trying to hit people down and you step in the way, you get in the way because of the power of the Holy Spirit that it's upon you and you redirect that person's entire life. Because of you? No, because of Christ in you.
What if we were this community? A people who get in the way to show others the way. Can we stand up this afternoon? You might be asking, well, what type of things can I do? That's a good question. Generosity, picking someone up and dropping them off, giving a meal, a desperate pair, an intervention, a job, unconditional love, faithful presence, showing up, forgiveness, a prophetic word, a prayer faith, all these things. It could be any of them. But there's a first question we have to ask. How can I be able to do this? We know our own frailty, insecurity, fear. And even in this day, in this hour, exhaustion. There's that moment, there's that person, and we just, left to ourselves, we'll cower or we'll run away or we'll just try to preserve what we can for us and just say someone else. We need the Holy Spirit. He's the guide, he's the helper, he's the advocate, he's the power that allows us to do this. We can't do it on our own. And he's already doing something. Will we posture ourselves to join him in his work? He's gonna tell you who you have to reach to. He's gonna show you this week if you're looking and you're listening. But right now, what we can do, the posture we can take is the same one that the early church in Acts 4 took. The apostle Peter and John were witnessing and declaring the good news of the Lord. They were literally in the city. Signs and wonders and miracles and healing people in the name of Jesus and saying, there's another way, one of healing and forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. And they were calling people unto this and they were taken and they were scolded and they were told, don't you dare talk about Jesus and the way anymore here in this city or else. The ones speaking to them had power and authority, but they knew that they were in submission to a greater power and authority. We people of God are in submission to a greater power and authority than anything in this land and in this world. And powers and principalities, all those things bow to the mighty name of Jesus. But you know what? They were still men and women just like us. And so they went back to the church community and that church held hands together, members, holding hands together and put their hands towards heaven. And this is what they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. The place shook because they said, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own.